Father, help us. <laughs> Jesus, we, uh, we want to come to you as uh, your sons and daughters, uh, recognizing um, that we've all been shaped in some way um, and uh, recognizing that the, uh, the voices are loud in our ears, the voice of our flesh, the voice of the world, the voice of the devil. I want to pray, my God, in the name of Jesus, uh, that you would silence those voices and that we would be able uh, to hear your kind and powerful words this morning through your text um, and through our conversation in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through a series called God and Sex. This is our third installment. And um, what they do is they build on each other. So I would encourage you to, uh, if, uh, if you're visiting for the first time, encourage you to go and listen to the first two. Um, because today we are in the section called what it means to be a sexually restorative community. Uh, in the first two weeks, we spoke about the different narratives uh, that are told to us, the narrative of the world and what God has said to his people. Um, about the nature of humanity, the nature of the human body, the nature of sexuality. Um, and so we've been kind of working up and building up in this series with regards to what it means to be sexually formed, what it means to be sexually deformed, what it means to be sexually reformed and sexually restored. And so we enter the, the time of our kind of what it means to be sexually reformed and restored. And we're going to be looking at a well-known account this morning. I'm going to do a brief introduction and then Paolo's going to come up here. He's going to give a little bit of his story and then I'm going to have the opportunity to, um, to ask him some questions and just engage more on the subject. Uh, this is a well-known portion of scripture and probably not mostly connected with the area of sex and sexuality, same-sex attraction, but I want you to hear with different words, especially those of us that have been around for a while. It's the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, and it's out of John 4, and I'm going to read out the ESV version beginning from verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Um, and then John, thinking like we needed more context, says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, and this is important, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. She's still focused on physical water. So you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus patiently says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. And right there we think she's getting it, right? Right there as, as a reader you think she's getting it. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's not getting it. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. 
um, what you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Uh, right? <laughs> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you said that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And I'll talk a little more about this, but this is what happens. When, when the Spirit of God uses us in the supernatural, then people default to theological debate and engagement. And she's like, so I perceive you're a prophet. So let's talk about where the temple should be situated, uh, not about what that's revealed in my own heart. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. I think as uh, believers, uh, we've fallen into a trap where we have divided people. And Scripture only gives us two kinds of separations. These days, there's all sorts of separations. Our so-called historical separations, the divisions of race and gender and class, um, those are becoming a, a little less distinct. But we have new divisions that are appearing instead of those divisions. We have divisions of political persuasion. We have divisions of sexual orientation, environmentalism, social issues, even secondary and tertiary divisions. Are you a surfer or do you paddleboard? Are you a skateboarder or are you a rollerblader? I don't know what it is. Are you a scuba diver or a free diver? And these days, in, in terms of the environmental thing, is do you drink straws or without straws? I was at a restaurant, and I said to the waitress, Hi, I would like a straw with no judgment, please. You know? <laughs> I've said to my daughter, if you want to save the environment, stop driving your car. That's how we save. So there's a lot of divisions and separations. We make them up all the time. But there is only one differentiation in the gospel. Those that have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ and those that have not. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are. Like we covered last week, the idea of sexual immorality is right next to Paul talking about slanderers. In Colossians, it's next to the idea of being disobedient to parents. Right? Second from the back row. It is, it is in there. We all have a sense of brokenness within us. And what we've done is we've drawn divisions around that brokenness. Um, it's ridiculous to say that I am less broken than you. There is just broken and not broken. That's it. And not only that, but in the context of sexual brokenness, we've even made further divisions. Yes, I may be sexually broken, but I'm sexually broken in a heterosexual way, which is better than being sexually broken in a same-sex attracted way. There is only one differentiation in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and those are people that have responded to his relentless extravagant grace and those that have not yet to respond. That is it. That is the separation. That is what Jesus was trying to help her understand. 
There are those that have tasted of the living water and those that have not tasted of the living water. There are those that have tasted of the living water and have themselves become fountains uh, of living water spilling out onto others and those that are still trying to quench their thirst on their own terms. Jesus does not differentiate on any other grounds other than those that would choose to see him in the way in which he portrayed himself, the Son of God, responsible for taking away the sin that separated us from him. Man, when I look at Jesus, he really didn't have any differentiations. He went to a Pharisee's house, to a tax collector's house, to a prostitute's house, to a scribe's house, to the upright, to the scoundrels, even on his team, even as he walked with the 12 disciples, one of them was what we would call a sellout, sellout to the Roman government, a tax collector, and another one is defined by the political party that he was part of, Simon the Zealot. Zealots were committed to the violent overthrow of the Roman Empire. Now, Jesus didn't draw that kind of differentiation. Uh, only sellouts in my new kingdom, only zealots in my new kingdom, no, there's only one differentiation. Those that have understood the grace that they could receive if they understand who I truly am. So how can we be more like Jesus in engaging with sexually broken people? As individuals in a faith community, we're called to extend the rule and reign of our King Jesus. We're called to exemplify a life that is both attractive and requires explanation, a life that is worthy of the call that we've been called to. We've also been called to heal We've also been called to come alongside those that are wounded. And I just want to give four brief things um, that may be all completely undone when Paolo comes up here, but I'm fine with that, you know. The first is to just intentionally engage in the messiness. In verses 7 to 9, Jesus sits down at the well, and he could have just sat down, and he could have just watched her. He knew all about her. He knew the fact that she'd been sexually immoral. He knew that she was currently sexually immoral, but he engages her. And one of the things that maybe as a community we need to become better in is just the ministry of presence, is just to sit along the well and just to ask some questions. Uh, Jesus ate with people. He touched people. He reclined with people. He walked with people. I have learned so much um, from friends that are in the LGBT community about things like commitment, about things like healing pain, about even the concept of monogamy. I've learned a lot. And that idea might shake you as a Christian. But let me just ask you this question. Are there potentially things that are stamped through the image of God on this person that you are able to ask questions and draw out and actually be in a position not only to just talk but listen? When we engage, let's dig, because I'm a digger when I ask questions. I, like, I, I ask a lot of questions. Um, but I tend to dig with a pickaxe and a shovel, you know. I'm like, shovel it out. And, and I just want to encourage us to be more like archaeologists when we dig than guys that dig ditches, right? Have you seen the archaeologists? They got their little brushes and their tiny little trowels. And why are they doing that? Because they don't want to damage what they find. Um, and so let's, as we ask questions, as we engage, as we, as we engage in the messiness, let's be diggers, but let's dig like archaeologists and not like ditch diggers. Let's focus on the water. Let's focus on the fact that there really is one overarching question in all of this. 
Have you tasted the living water of life? Not do you like men or do you like women? Not are you living with your boyfriend or are you not? Not how many husbands do you have or not? Jesus was constantly trying to bring her back to the point of there is someone here that can bring you ultimate freedom. You need to be able to see that and understand that. Let's focus on the water. We have become, in the context of the church, more concerned with sexual orientation than spiritual orientation. We've become more concerned with who do you like and who do you date and how often, rather than have you, are you, walking in pure, unadulterated freedom and is your thirst quenched by the living water of God? Thirdly, we need to trust the Spirit. Jesus has what, what we call a word of knowledge. He says, where, where is your husband? He didn't ask that question because he's like, gee, I wonder where her husband is. He knows that she is onto her fifth husband. In those days, I mean, even now, five is a lot, right? But in those days, that was dramatic. There was a reason she was there at midday without any of the other ladies. She was ostracized. No one wanted to be with her. She was that woman that's on her fifth husband. And she was, she was, in a sense, held on the outside. But Jesus has this word of knowledge. And I want to encourage us as a people that say that one of the things we pursue is the active work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, able to break through in these kinds of areas, trust that the Spirit of God is able to do that in a conversation. But let's not be weird. There's a difference, okay? Whatever you do is going to be supernatural, okay? Meaning more than the natural, super above natural. It doesn't need to be weird. Your eyes don't need to roll back and you don't need to say, I'm having some kind of open vision and a trance. You, you don't need to speak in a different voice. All you need to be able to say is, I feel like God is saying this to you. Or sometimes God speaks to me. Or can I ask you a question? Just, just make it more palatable. Does that make sense? But let's trust God for the supernatural. And lastly, we need to know the truth, but let's not theologically spar. Do you know what sparring is? You kind of get in there and like throw a left, throw a right, duck, dive, etc. Verse 20, even, even when she tried to cloud the issue. And so, so what happens, and this is what happens with people in their brokenness in any context, whether it's sexual brokenness, whether it's financial brokenness, whether it's relational brokenness, people will redirect and will redirect to an issue that is much less important. And so she says to him, she talks about the mountain. Our fathers worshipped on the mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. She, she enters this theological debate. Okay, so, so where are we supposed to actually go? Where is the physical place that we should go and worship? And what does Jesus say? Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. God is looking for worshipers that worship with spirit and truth. And I want to encourage us to be the kinds of men and women that always bring the conversation back to the living water of God. Yeah, those things are different. Um, people out of their own protection or embarrassment or hurt will camouflage. We do. Why would we expect those that we're engaging not to do the same thing? Be prepared to answer questions. And this be prepared to say, I don't know. Or that's hard. Or even I'm on a journey when it comes to understanding that. But if you're going to say that, 
then let's be intentional about reaching out to the resources. And, and we've put resource out, resources out on the website. And Paolo's a gift to us, and he's a resource in, in, in the context of these kinds of conversations where we can say, you know what, I don't know, but your question is important enough for me to go and find out, and I will get back to you. And then finally, we want to educate ourselves. We want to educate ourselves on the reality that we face. We want to educate ourselves on what is true and what is not true. We want to be able to differentiate between what is a fact and what is touted as a fact but is not actually a fact. And we want to be those that, that respond having done our own research and education. And this is part of what the series is about. So at this point, I'm going to invite Paola up to join me. And um, I met Paolo at a Preston Sprinkle event. Um, I've known Brad for over five years. In fact, uh, Brad, Sarah, Karen, and I, and Andy and Jackie had a horrible meal at the only place that was open in San Diego when they first planted Restored San Diego. Um, and uh, had the privilege when Brad planted Restored LA to be one of his co-elders until they reached a place of health and was no longer required there. Uh, we've taken teams out there for leadership training, and I've preached there once, and Brad's been here a couple times. For those of you that maybe don't remember him, he's the, uh, the skinny guy that preaches with passion, and you wonder if you're saved after he's preached, right? That's Brad. Um, and Paolo's also brought um, some of his friends along with us. So... Come up here, Paolo. Are we sitting? Yeah. Oh, God. Should I sit with you? Sure. Okay. <laughs> this is very coffee shop kind of vibe, so I like it. I'm super cool here. <laughs> I don't actually know what to do with my legs. So. Um, hi, my name is Paolo. Um, Thank you guys so much for having me, and thank you, Nick, for just uh, doing this and inviting us. Oh, it's a privilege. Appreciate man. you. Um, so I grew up in the um, San Fernando Valley. Um, I come from a very traditional Italian Catholic family. Um, that's how I got the name Paolo. Um, but um, yep, grew up, uh, grew up there my whole life. Both my parents are originally from Italy and settled in uh, LA. But um, I'm one of seven kids. I'm the very last, um, just to show how traditional we were. <laughs> um, but I um, uh, grew up with um, five older brothers and one sister. And uh, just from a very young age, I knew I was different um, from my brothers. My brothers loved sports, um, had pictures of girls on their walls, um, wore flannel. So there was a lot of differences <laughs> between there was a lot of differences between us. Um, so, I, so I knew that there was uh, something already going on from a, from a young age. I knew I was attracted to men um, from a very young age. And it was scary because um, it was scary to, to, to even share it or to, uh, to feel what I felt. Um, so I went into hiding for a very long time just because of culturally um, what uh, the uh, kind of Catholic church or the Italian Catholic culture was like um, just very bashing. Um, anytime I heard um, the word gay or what anyone was talked about about being gay, um, it was either to make fun of or um, it was a very hurtful either slang or, or something like that. So I went into hiding at a very, very young age. Um, 
So kind of fast forward, I came out at the age of 26. Um, and it came at the point where I was just tired of, of being unhappy. I was tired of, of hiding. Um, and I was in a very, very fearful place. Um, coming out to my whole family was, was hard. Coming out to my friends um, was really hard. Um, but I was, um, for the most part, um, met with grace and, and, and compassion, uh, looking back at it now. Um, but just to give you a small, like, sliver, um, when I did come out to my dad, you know, one of the things he said is, I had five, I had, um, I had five perfect sons that I, you know, that I created, and, and then there's you, um, because it's, it's not what I, not what I had planned for you. Um, and so that, that was really, really hurtful, but that kind of created a, um, I think something that I, I had to redeem now. All the years that I had lost in hiding now, I, I needed to, um, to, to live in. Um, and so I did. I, I threw myself in a lot of relationships uh, with men. Um, I uh, just thought that that's what I had to do to, in order to redeem those years. And a lot of that was, was sexually. Um, I fell into um, a state of promiscuity. Um, and the more, uh, the more I was able to do that, the more I just felt um, more unworthy of, of love, the more I, the m I, I tried to up the ante with experiences, and I just felt like there was less and less happening um, in my life, and I, I just felt so broken, and I felt um, like I was in a darker, deeper hole um, at that point. And we had... Um, my family and I had a um, kind of a family health scare, and um, it was around that time where um, my really good friend, I, need, I can't look at him because I'll cry, um, <laughs> um, but my friend Ryan, who's here, um, we worked together at the time. Um, this is about three and a half years ago. We were working together at the time, and he grew up in a, a Christian home. He was a follower, and... Um, I knew he was a Christian, and even when I came out to him, um, I don't remember exactly what he said or what he did, but I felt so cared for by him. Knowing that he was a Christian, I mean, these are Christians were people that I made fun of. Um, I never saw myself going into a church freely. And, um, you know, I, I went to him after my family health scare. I went to him with um, the pain that I felt from my dad and from, from culture. And um, after promiscuity, you know, I, I went to him and he was, he was there for me. And so um, I just felt deeply cared for by him. And it was around that time where um, it was me, Ryan, and Jill. Um, we were the three amigos. We still are. Um, <laughs> um, but we felt so deeply cared for by Ryan um, that we actually, uh, we decided to go to uh, a birthday party. Um, it was for one of his friends. And as we were driving there, as we were walking to the house party, we were so excited to meet some of the other friends that Ryan had. He told us that it was the pastor's house for the pastor's birthday. Um, yeah, trickery for sure. Um, and we thought, you know, we looked at him and we're like, we thought you loved us, right? Like, <laughs> um, but we were met with the most, like, sincerest, friendliest faces um, imaginable. 
Um, and we, uh, there was just a sense of love and um, we enjoyed it. And so for some reason we decided to go to church uh, the next Sunday. And um, so that was Restored LA. And it was May 15th, uh, 19, uh, 19, 2016. So three, three years ago, sorry. You look great, man. Thank you. <laughs> um, so it was th about three, almost exactly, actually exactly three years ago um, that we stepped foot into a church willingly. Um, and that was the first time um, the sermon was about family. And I, had, I wanted to walk away from my family so much because of the hurt that I felt and the words that I had heard. Um, and the pastor, uh, Danny Kimlot, just spoke so much about what family looks like um, in the kingdom. And um, I went back the next week, um, and it was about uh, just... After that, it was all about identity, finding ourselves as sons and daughters um, to, to God and because of Christ. And that was something that I've never, ever heard of. Um, and um, I didn't realize that I, um, you know, that I had, I was harboring so much hurt from my own dad and looking at God as the same way. So hearing that actually God does accept me um, was so foreign to me. Um, but I kept on going, um, every Sunday kept on going and, um, um, threw myself into a life group that we have out there. And, um, I actually was very open, um, and talked to them. I was even, um, talked to the leaders, but I was, I was even open about still in relationships with men and they prayed for me and they didn't pray the gay way, which is what I was expecting. They prayed that my identity would be found, um, in Jesus, um, as a son and so deeply loved. And my conversation with God changed to, um, God, what do you have to say about this? What do you have to say about my sexuality? And going into scripture and being led by wonderful leaders, it was really the conversation with God that he was saying like, you're looking at your sexuality more than I am. Come to me and be my son. Um, so about five months later, I gave my life to, um, to Christ and uh, became a believer, got baptized. Ryan baptized me and Jill, which was so special. Um, and I started kind of this path of, um, God, I know what you have to say. I know what's to come about, um, you know, m me wanting a relationship with God. I mean, yeah, me wanting a relationship with God and wanting a relationship with a man, which is natural for me to feel. Um, God, what do you say about this? And it took about nine months. Um, and that was a wrestle, like a deep, deep wrestle. Um, the constant conversation with others and with God, like, God, why can't I just have this thing? Um, I, um, I hid for so long, God, why can I just have this thing? Um, why can't you just bless this and let me have this? Um, and it came to a point where it was actually at a, at a wedding, a Christian wedding, and um, I, did, I made the choice to not, to not drink that night because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but it came to the point where um, throughout the night, um, I felt um, literally just like my eyes were covered. And I found myself going to where the actual altar was, where the, where the um, couple got married. And I was there. I was alone, looked around as I was like literally in the aisle, looked around and was like, my family's not here. 
the ones that I love aren't here. The man that would take the ring isn't here. And the, one, the man to give me that ring isn't here also. God, why, why are you doing this? And um, I really do feel, and I hold on to the words that he said of like, you might not get a ring, but I gave you my blood a long time ago. Um, and so it was about nine months later where I, I gave my life to celibacy um, because I have felt his glory. I have felt um, his love and his care and compassion. Um, and I felt his promises all in one. Um, and since then, it's been, uh, it'll be two years since I've lived in celibacy and it hasn't been easy. Um, definitely a lot of loneliness. Um, I have been so blessed by the family uh, that I've created at Restored. Um, they've invited me into their, their relationship and at, to have dinner with them. Um, and one of the things that they shared that um, was so profound to me is um, one of the women said, like, Paolo, I've been married for 30 years and I feel lonely. And I was just like, whoa. And couple after couple, it was the same thing. And I'm sure most of you who are married can kind of re relate that marriage wasn't meant to um, fulfill you. Um, and that was something that I was so unaware of um, because so much I wanted to put my identity in a relationship. I wanted, I wanted marriage to be the ultimate fulfillment. Um, and I was met with, that's actually wrong. It's actually only Jesus can, that can do that. Um, and it was, it was so freeing. Um, and this walk isn't, isn't easy, but it has been so beautiful. Um, I've been able to, um, I've been able to, uh, lead, um, a small group myself, co-lead a small group. Um, I've been able to actually be there when, um, marriages are when there's sin in marriages and they've called me and that's so beyond my wildest dreams. I've never expected that. Um, I've been able to um, speak and share my testimony um, at different churches, even in South Africa. Um, and it's so, so insane to me um, what's happening. But I do know that um, this walk may not feel safe, but it, it is good because he is good. Um, and that is something that I cling on to as fact. Um, so yeah, so now I'm here. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you guys. Thank you so much for your courage. I mean, we are just getting to know each other, to be in a completely different family and just sharing such deep things. Thank you. Um, uh, Paula, how do you... Um, how, how do the rest of your friends um, that, that are still um, trying to figure out what on earth happened to you um, in, terms of, in terms of the people you, um, you, do you still interact in those circles? Do you not? How, how have you managed that and what has it looked like for you? Um, yeah, it has been very difficult. Um, you know, the, the day after I was baptized, I, you know, I posted pictures on social media and the very next day um, got so much uh, love and um, people were um, just emailing and texting and all that, so, so many great things. But there were also many things that were said that, um, you know, the church is trying to change you. Um, they're, trying to, um, they're trying to change who you were meant to be. Um, 
And so a lot of those friendships that I had, mainly in the LGBTQ community, I did lose. Um, but I also realized that that was, um, um, as hard as it was, there was also a lot of um, temptation in that. And so I had to... Um, I had to be faithful and I had to be obedient in those things. Um, conversations do come up because, um, you know, I, I used to work in a very liberal company and um, people expect you have a smile on your face, you must be in a relationship. And um, that is a really, really hard conversation to have and to stand by. Um, um, it, yeah, I've, I've lost a lot of those friendships but there's a few handful of um, friendships that I've been able to keep who, who know me, who um, know that this is a faith-based, and I, it totally has been God's grace. They're still around, even though they know my feelings. Um, but my prayer is that they continue to be, love, uh, be loved by me and through the Spirit, um, and that has been happening. Yeah. Um. Brad, you and I were talking about, or he mentioned the fact that um, him and you met, and uh, he just wanted to make sure that there wasn't a bait and switch um, in, in terms of drawing you into a community and then, and then finding out, uh, whoa, hang on a second. What was that conversation like? And, um, and yeah, just talk us through that. Like most great conversations at Restored, they happen at a party. Um, <laughs> we were at, uh, it was a men's function, and this was pretty early on that I was there um, at Restored. is maybe three months in. And so I went to this men's gathering, and um, I was there in the kitchen, and uh, Brad kind of comes by. And uh, we were just in a, like a very simple dialogue. And um, I was already in community, so he knew me, he knew of me. Um, and so... Um, one of the things he said was, um, hey, I, um, I do have, uh, on the podcast, I do have a sermon on homosexuality, um, but if you do want to sit down and have a conversation, please reach out to me. Um, I would love to just uh, talk to you and, and let you know what God has to say about, um, about homosexuality, and he loves you. And I was just like, I'm, yes, 100%. Um, and... We, we were able to, to have coffee and just, um, I, I probably spoke for two hours and he spoke for five, honestly. And it was towards the, yeah, he, he just displayed so much, um, again, like compassion and, and care. Um, I felt really listened to. Um, and he, he prayed for me at a, at a Starbucks, which was insane. Um, but I remember I walked away and I was just like, I have no idea what I just said and who I just said it to, but uh, I'm, I'm going to continue to go with it. Um, so I, I did, I, I felt so cared for by him. And was this before you came to faith? Yes. Yeah, it was before I came to faith. Um, and in between that, in between that and coming to faith, Brad and I sat down many times. We went over, um, we went through two different books, People to be Loved and Washed in Waiting. And um, those were tough, tough books for me to read um, because I understood what the trajectory of the life um, in Christ was going to look like for me. And um, he, um, I mean, gosh, he, one of the things that stands out right now is he said, we all have to count the costs to following Jesus. We're all called to sacrifice things. And he was so open about even his, um, 
uh, temptation and sin. And I was just like, you're married and you're a pastor. Um, you shouldn't say those things. <laughs> um, they weren't crude or anything, if that made it. Um, but uh, it, it was, he was just so open and honest and uh, really led me to Jesus in, in such a beautiful way. Um, but he started out by just listening. That's great. How do you uh, respond to people that, um, you know, sending you these texts and uh, maybe even Christians that, that have said to you, um, this is unfair. Um, no one else is actually uh, counting the kind of cost uh, that you are. Everyone else gets a family. Everyone else uh, gets someone that they can, they can be with. How, how do you respond to that? Uh, yeah. Um, kind of like, um, I'll, I'll do this perfectly. If you, if you show me a couple who is perfect, um, show me a perfect marriage. Um, show me a marriage that maybe on the surface surface looks great, but it deep down inside is not, um, and is not Jesus loving and, and God fearing. Um, and I will show you how, how I can do this. Um, but it is not at all boasting in what I can do. Um, I open up about my weakness, um, and it's because of the family that I've created, um, who also open up about their weaknesses that I, that I can do this. Yeah. So Paolo, when you, um, um, when you when you think about your trajectory in, into the future, um, what do you think would make it impossible for someone like you to have come into a church? Because I'm sure there have been many people, um, men and women, that have struggled with same sex that have that have entered into a church and left, not having the experience that you had. As as a faith community, um, what are some of the things that that we can really be aware of um, as, as we hopefully make ourselves more hospitable? Um, you know, before coming to know Jesus, I thought I was a good person. I thought I was a great person. Um, but I didn't know the love of Jesus. Um, I didn't experience the love of a father. And I think for anyone who is same-sex attracted or finds themselves in the LGBTQ community or finds themselves who are heterosexual and haven't put their faith in Jesus, um, uh, have you felt the love of a father? Um, that is so overwhelming that you, that you can't turn to anything else because of how good he has been. Um, so I, I really hope that that's um, something to encourage you so that you can encourage others with. Yeah. Stay up here. Ryan, why don't you come up here? I'm, uh, this is not planned. I know. Curveball. I want to ask you guys a question because as you've walked with Paolo, um, what were some of the things that you were praying? What were some of your conversations? What, what was happening as, as you were watching this process? Um, and uh, Because hopefully we will have the privilege of being able to walk through people in every aspect of life, uh, not just in terms of same-sex, that are a little like Bambi, you know, like, no, come closer, come closer. So what was that like for you guys? Well, so my walk was a little bit different because um, I, Paul and I entered church at the same time. We were both unsaved. And um, so I don't really know what Ryan's prayers were, but I could tell you from my perspective as another non-believer coming in, um, Paolo 
you know, I tell everyone he's my brother. He's like, we, he's my best friend out, outside of my husband. He's my other best friend. And so um, I grew up in the Catholic Church as well. And my understanding of, of same-sex attraction and, and church just, it was never a thing. Um, it was always condemnation. And so I was fiercely, fiercely protective of him as we were walking into this environment. And I cared more about how people treated him than they, how they treated me or looked at me. And I can say from my perspective, one of the things that um, Restored and the people of Restored and ultimately the people of God, people of Jesus did really beautifully is they never cared about his sexual orientation. It was never like, hey, welcome to Restored. Are you straight? Are you gay? It was just like, hey, welcome. Um, you know, do you want to grab a coffee? Do you want to be my friend? Um, and then from the other perspective, because Ryan was our other best friend, um, the thing, sorry, it makes me very emotional. Um, I get the privilege of being Ryan's wife now. So the thing that um, he always did really beautifully was he just did life with Paolo. Like, there was never an agenda. And I think even now as believers, um, when we build friendships with people, there's always this agenda. And, and, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Um, of course, we have a desire for everyone to come to know the Lord. And we know the transformation of what he does in our hearts. But all Ryan did was he walked life with him. I mean, Paolo... I, I wish you could, we could rewind, you guys could watch the sin we were in together as friends. Um, and, you know, West Hollywood, if everyone's ever heard of it, that was like the place you went. And Ryan went there with us. Yeah. You know, I don't know any other Christian that would walk the streets of West Hollywood and go into clubs and like do stuff like that. And it wasn't um, to try and be like, let me show them that I'm cool and Christians are cool. It was just like, this is my friend. This is something he wants to do. Let me walk life with him and understand that and understand where he's coming from and what he's seeking. And it was always really genuine. So, Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think through the whole journey, my, my prayer was that God would um, help me see like my own sin in my life. Because, yeah, as he mentioned, I, I did grow up in a Christian home at the time in my life when we did uh, become friends and connect. I was at kind of a, I guess, a crossroads with my faith, my faith where I was uh, kind of questioning my faith myself. So I, I think that God revealed uh, the true gospel to me in the same time that he did to them um, without just going through all the, the Christian uh, uh, rules and, and moral obligations, um, which I was so accustomed to growing up. Um, and so it was a season where God was showing me revealing to me a lot of who he was through my relationship with them and and as Jill mentioned um yeah it was um it was praying and asking God like like just because I have my own convictions and beliefs about things like how can I love my friend the best and and that was that really was in and Nick you mentioned like presence um I think that was huge because a lot of those things were uncomfortable for me. It was uncomfortable for me to go to West Hollywood when growing up in the church, I've just known that's bad. But I, but I feel like God was like, this is, this is my son. This is someone who I love just as much as I love you. Um, and so I, I think that, that conviction led me to like think that that's okay. Or God led me to believe that that's okay. Um, so that was one. And the second thing is really leaning on on your church family. Like, there was so many times, because um, we were roommates together, there was so many times that I'd be like, God, I don't, I don't know if I could do this. Like, and 
the, the other people in the church and Brad and, and some of the other leaders were like, yeah, you can't. It's like it's God who's going to work in their lives. So I think um, as Christians, we take on this pressure that we're going to save people and we're going to be the ones who are Jesus to them. At least for me, I did. Um, but ultimately, it's going to be God's hand and, and he's going to move in the lives of the people that he loves. So, yeah. Um, would you guys pray for us as a community? Um, Ryan, if you could pray, and then Paul, if you could pray. Um, music team, if you can come up while that's happening. Father God, we <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, that you that you love us, um, no matter where we're at, Lord God. That your love for us is unconditional. That you meet us where we're at, Lord God. And um, yeah, just as Nick was preaching of the the woman at the well, um, you came after her, um, you pursued her, <clears throat> even though it was seen as something that wasn't the cultural norm, Lord. You you broke through that and you surpassed all the rules of human flesh and customs and tradition and you chased after her heart lord god <clears throat> because you love us so much you're so good um that you even sacrificed yourself at the cross for us and so i just pray for um for this church i pray for this city i pray for people here who um don't know you that they would know today that you love them um and that you pursue them and that um, despite where they may think they're at, despite all the sin that they, they think they have or the unworthiness, um, that you actually love them and that you, um, you pursue them and, and that you, you want them to know that they're fully loved and, and fully um, admired and, and wanted by you, Lord God. And, and I just also pray for um, any of the believers here who are Christian, who have been walking with you, who maybe not have not done um, things perfectly with the LGBTQ community or um, people in that community that they would also feel freedom that yeah they're, they're not perfect but that you are um, and that you would show them how to love their brothers and sisters regardless of their sexual orientation or um, regardless of their own beliefs in their heart that you would help us all to turn our eyes to you um, regardless of where we're at Father because you love us and, and you're so good so we thank you, Lord. Father, I just um, I thank you um, that you manifested your love through Jesus for us. Um, that you um, that you walked this earth and died the death that we do deserve um, in our place, um, Father, and that we get to cling to that fact um, that we are now solid and firm in the foundation of your gospel um, and of, in Jesus. Um, Spirit, would you just work in our hearts, my heart, Ryan and Jill's 
um, the people that are here today, your children, uh, your worshipers, would you work in our hearts um, and continue the, um, honestly, Father, like just um, allow us to be more dependent on you. Father, will you just show us where, where the parts of our hearts are that are not fully dependent on you, whether we're gay, straight, wherever it is, married, unmarried, um, that we wouldn't believe the lies of today's culture, um, that the things of this world will satisfy us. It's only you and your living waters that truly satisfy. So Father, would you bring us to that well? Would you um, quench our thirst yourself? Um, Father, we, we lay by um, the side of, of flowing streams and we wait for your, um, we wait for your, um, your grace there. We wait for your love and we wait for your compassion there. So would you just meet us where we're at um, as you did the woman at the well? Um, Father, we just breathe new life into us and let us see the parts of our hearts that struggle to, to trust you and put faith in you. Um, Father, will you just work in this city um, would you just allow the men and women that are here today to expand your territory um, and bring more men and women and children and old people um, to your name so that we can all worship you as a true God, um, as a true father and the husband that um, doesn't come home waiting for his bride to have a, a dinner set for us, but is actually the husband that is at home and is so, so joyful that his bride comes home. Father, will you just let us experience that husband? Will you let us experience the father that walks us through this path that actually sits with us in the darkness of our hearts? And would you just turn on that light? Um, father, this is all for your glory and for your great name. We praise you. Amen. We're going to, music team is going to lead us in a song just Maybe stay seated where you are, and uh, there's a sweet way to go to from from there. <laughs> 